now we're live rather than being off air. Okay. So, I would like to welcome everyone to the Non-League Podcast. It's the end of 2014 and I'm bored. I need some football. I've not had any for two days. It's Chris and Smith. I'm actually at home in Gainsborough for a change. Well, we're recording this on a Tuesday night because we discussed football last night, but unfortunately the weather got in the way and the match was off. And just up the M4, it's me, Rob Overfield, who's quite enjoying the Christmas break, but unfortunately, there's still work involved. Plenty for me. I think that's where my problem is. Uh, I, I've got enforced two weeks off work, and now the kids are back at their mothers, and so I'm a bit... Okay, and uh, I said to James earlier on that Libby's been out all day today and so I've really been getting a bit of cabin fever because, as you both know, I'm normally in a hotel uh, or I'm working away, so I'm normally a bit busy. I've had a torrid time uh, Sunday, a 12-hour round trip to go and watch Trinity lose uh, against Lowestoft. How did uh, your guys do on Boxing Day? We we got a 3-0 victory, which I think surprised everybody. Um and we play Ferriby again on Thursday. Uh, but how did Hampton get on at the uh, Boxing Day tie? Well, it's funny enough you should mention this, Kristen, because the Boxing Day game for Hampton-Richmond was against, would you believe it, Kingstonian, who we will come back to uh, later on in the uh, recording. Uh, it ended up as a 1-1 draw. Um, I think the, the Beavers felt happier about the fact of gaining a point than what the hosts did Kingstonian just can't win at King's Meadow. I think they've had two wins all season. So it was a good point and not a classic game, but it was a uh, it was a game undefeated. And uh, your game was called off last night, James, wasn't it? Yeah, it was supposed to be uh, the nice big local uh, local derby in Bracknell um, at Binfield, Binfield v Bracknell Town. Um, for some reason, they, they scheduled it for, for a Monday night instead of Saturday afternoon, which is um, a little bizarre to me, but he got called off for a frozen pitch. Um, as I say, I think he probably would have gone ahead if it had been played on Saturday. Um, neither club had a game. They were the only two in the Hellenic League Prem that didn't have a game, so why they opted to put it on a Monday night is beyond me. But, uh, yeah, they paid, kind of paid the price for that because uh, neither club has now had a, had a Christmas game. And it's on to, uh, I think it's the weekend, and I think they've even got games on New Year's Day. So just a, a, a bizarre decision to me that's uh, backfired. Well, that's unfortunate for them. As I say, we had a long uh, round trip to Lowestoft um, on the 28th, and Boxing Day we beat Ferriby 3 0. Um, so it's been a bit of a funny day. So having every two days. So today I've been a bit uh, twiddly thumbs. But uh, thankfully we've got the podcast. And you've already said about it, Rob, about Kingstonian. Now, not many people, some people may not realise that AFC Wimbledon, who are obviously a football league team uh, now, they actually own the leasehold, I believe, to the ground at Kings Meadow. Um and the news has broken today that they've sold that to Chelsea, who are going to play their youth team and women's team on there. But it's a big ask then as to what's going to happen to your local rivals, Kingstonian, uh, with the new arrangements, because I don't think anybody can say yet. No, um, it hasn't quite got as far on as being a done deal yet. It's still one of the dis- 
things under discussion between the owners of um, AFC Wimbledon, the Dons Trust. They have confirmed today that they have been talking with a wide variety of people, one of which is Chelsea Football Club. And um, this is if um, AFC Wimbledon get their ground um, in the borough of Merton, uh, back near the old, basically the old, the old ground at Plough Lane, basically back to where the fans are pretty much based. Um, it's one of a number of options that have been discussed, and it um, it could be a tricky thing for Kingstonian because they can't afford to. They couldn't afford to buy the ground um, for the Boxing Day game against Hampton. The, the crowd was only just uh, just about 450. They haven't. They have not got the support there to be able to raise them when to be able to buy it themselves. And King and of course FC Wimbledon don't want the ground if they're going to have one of their own back in Merton, near you know near Wimbledon again, back where they came from. So they're not going to need it. And this is one of a number of ideas that they're obviously considering. Um, Rumor has that if Chelsea were successful and they did buy the ground they would probably use it for the the youth teams, the academy teams and also Chelsea AFC um, for the, uh, the women's team as well which basically begs the question where would that leave Kingstonian who were at one time owners of the ground themselves and then when they got into financial trouble AFC Wimbledon bought out the lease and effectively became the landlords having a switch around between landlord and tenant. So there's a lot happening, anything can yet happen, but if you know, if it turns to be a case of that FC Wimbledon do sell Kings Meadow to Chelsea, Kingstonian are going to have to keep talking and keep talking fast because they don't have many options in the area. I think there was a well I think there was a season while Kings Meadow was being uh, refurbished and redeveloped. They did actually ground share at Hampton and Richmond, I think. I would have to check my history. Yeah, that but, is right. um, yeah they did. In the early, I think it was the, was it the late 80s when, uh, when they moved into Kingsmeadow, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was in... just at that time when Kingsmeadow yeah. was being built or developed and for a season they came and ground shared. Whether that option's still there for them, I don't know. There, there is one or two options. There's always um, Invercourt, the uh, Met Police ground, that's close by, as well as Hampton. So, you know, the future for Kingstonian at the minute has got clouds on the horizon, whether they will actually develop into a thunderstorm and create issues for the club. We'll just have to wait and see what the new year brings. Yeah, and for, for me, this is uh, this has been in my in my head for a, for a year since Boxing Day last season when we when we played Kingstonian um, at, at Hampton and um, beat them 4-1. Sorry, just had to get that in there. Um, <laughs> and... As I was, uh, you know, I was working with Rob at the game. Um, I was in the in the boardroom afterwards, and I think it was around about the time that the FC Wimbledon had first announced their ambition, or you know, c- cemented the uh, the rumours of the ambition to get back to um, it's a Greyhound Stadium, isn't it, in uh, in Plough Lane? Um, yeah, and as I was in the boardroom, there were a couple of Kingstonian officials uh, in there as well, and I just happened, you know, I happened to ask them, you know, if if that goes through, then what happens to you guys? Because you know you you're not you're not the landlords, and their answer was we don't know. And that for, since since that day, Boxing Day 2013, this has just been burning the back of my mind, and I've been meaning to write about it for ages. And it, as it goes, nine days ago, I I, I wrote about it on Under the League, um, wondering you know just trying to get it out a little bit. What would what does happen if uh, if if the Dons do go back home and um, 
you know, lo and behold, nine days later, and uh, and AFC are announcing that that this deal could be, uh, you know, could be in the pipeline. And you know, as you say there, Rob, I mean, Chelsea aren't going to want King Sterling to play on that pitch if they did buy the ground, because obviously, if their youth teams and the women's teams play on it, then it wouldn't really leave leave the calendar open for King Sterling to put their matches on it. Um, but just as an aside, as a ground chair, I don't think I don't think Hampton's ground would uh, would hold up. The pitch would hold up to having another team playing on there, to be honest. But well, not not at the moment, anyway. No. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, the the whole the whole thing that got me thinking as well was when when that first happened, when when Wimbledon uh, bought the leasehold in two thousand and three. You know, part of the deal was that the first senior pre-season friendly from AFC Wimbledon would be at Kings Meadow against Kingstonian. Um, it would be their first team and the gate receipts would go to Kingstonian, all the, all the revenue, which would basically pay the rent for the season. Um, now, as I understand it, that, that match stopped happening around about five or six years ago. And it was basically that in my head. Was, well, if AFC Wimbledon aren't going to honour that, it just shows to me that they're, you know, they're capable of not honouring anything and not showing any respect and you know they've done a lot of work on that stadium they have basically treated it as if it's their stadium um they've almost you know for want of a better thread they've kind of been cuckooed you know they've moved in and taken over and mm. you know and now they're going to potentially you know leave leave kingstonian without a home and i have to admit i've kind of lost a fair bit of respect for afc wimbledon which is sad considering what they've achieved and you know what where they've come from and and their, the circumstances surrounding their, their beginnings. I just, I don't know, it leaves a horrible taste in my mouth. And I know it's Hampton's local rivals and on the pitch and on the terraces, you know, they're, they're the enemy, but they're part of the non-league family and it just seems like they're being, being steamrolled a little bit to me. I mean, back at the time when um, they were in financial trouble, Kings Meadow were very good. Kings Meadow was actively up for sale pretty much um, because Kingstonian couldn't could just not afford what they were you know to basically to maintain it the upkeep of it and so on and the, the only deal that I think was on the table was was from the then tenants AFC Wimbledon and basically in the space of a few months um, the tables were turned in which from Kingstonian owning it to mean to basically paying the rent um, so at the time it was very much a deal that saved Kingstonian but now it looks like ultimately it might be the one that could potentially drive them under. Um, what's going to happen in the next six months? Who knows? Sorry, I've muted myself then. Um, <laughs> busy Chris talking then. away. Can't hear myself. Um, it's a sad situation and I think it's something that a lot of clubs have obviously got to think about because we see that I know Gloucester are moving back uh, to Gloucester mm. uh, themselves. Yeah. Uh, Worcester are currently sharing with Kidderminster and then you've got yeah. other clubs <coughs> where it's going to be um, like, I don't want to go back over old ground with Gainsborough Trinity but they don't own the club, they don't own the ground that they're in, uh, the supporters club Oh, so-called supporters club uh, owns the ground, and so they pay rent to the supporters club for it. So, it's um, 
is always a, a tricky one. Now, I understand, James, from your article uh, that you, you put out, that the it's only the leasehold that's been um, given. The freehold's actually still owned by Kingstonian Borough Council. Yeah, from the research that I did, that's that's true. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure the legal ins and outs of it. But yeah, as I understand it, it's the freehold is held by the council and the leasehold is held by ASC Wimbledon. So I mean, in the article, I've I've put you know that what happens when when ASC Wimbledon go back and Kingston can't afford the lease, you know, and a supermarket comes in, you know, like it's happening in in Hitchin. You know, Kingstonian are forced out that way. Um, you know, little did I know that there was a, a Premier League club going to be possibly taking that place instead. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in all honesty, if you know, from Chelsea's point of view, just to say it's, you know, it's a fantastic piece of piece of property for them to buy. It's purpose built for what they for what they would need to use it for. It's absolutely fantastic for them. It'll be far cheaper than building their, you know, buying their own land and building their own facilities. You know, it's. AFC Wimbledon have done an awful lot of work to the ground, you know, and it's it's ready to go for for Chelsea's uh, what is it next generation and youth teams and ladies yeah, teams and it's the youth everyone team, is the in the first team. team. Yeah, and yeah, but, but as, in terms of the ownership of the ground, yeah, I mean, for me, if Chelsea come calling, I could probably see Kingston Councils taking a nice big fat check and and handing it over. To be honest, but. Let's face it, Kingstone are not going to be able to afford it if Chelsea are coming calling. No, I mean King. I mean Kingsmeadow was only built because um, I think there was an issue with uh, the old Richmond Road ground in Kingston that Kingstonian used to have, and that was prov- and the space for the you know for Kingsmeadow was provided by the council. So it rather begs the question: What do the council want? Um, do they want to keep? Do they want to keep Kingston? And Kingstonian together, or are they just happy to say, "Yeah, yeah, here you are, Chelsea. You know, come by offers. Thank you very much. Good night." Or will they basically make it a condition of um, Chelsea potentially taking over the leasehold that they have to find provision for Kingstonian Football Club um, within, you know, the plans for the ground? This well, that'd, that'd be the ideal situation, wouldn't it? Um, it would be the ideal situation, given the fact that the council said they're on the freehold. They can, in some respects, call some of the shots in this, because they can say to Chelsea, "Yes, thanks very much. Here's your, here's your, uh, the f- cost of the leasehold for you." And I mean, if Kingston Council have got any sense, and Chelsea do come in and take over the leasehold. To be honest, they want to be jacking it up a little, you know, because Chelsea are going to be surely afraid to afford it. But basically, what they can, what they should be able to do to whoever takes over the ground uh, would be to basically make sure that provision is found in there for the original owners, the original club uh, of Kings Meadow, which was, you know, which was Kingstonian right in the start. If this happens, then Kingstonian. I've got time and they've got space. But if Chelsea stand on it and say, I'm sorry, but we don't, we, we can't accept that, then it could go any other way. At least if Chelsea do take over the leasehold, then football will still be played on the site, even if it isn't Kingstonian. It could go that 
Chelsea might not agree to any conditions that the council might make and say, well, thanks very much, but no thanks. And um, it, as you think, James, it could easily go to a commercial developer. So it's a tricky time and it's a tr tricky situation, but I hope the council do right, you know, by the, you know, by the long-standing club that's been there for so long. You know, the Kingstonian have been in the area for years, hundreds, mm -hmm. hundred years at least, and to basically tell them that, sorry, you know, we've had this great offer, we can't stretch it to make allowances for you, we can't do anything. That was mean the council would have get with for the third, for the second time after find them somewhere to play. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I, as I said in the article, yeah, Kingstonian are the, the, you know, they are the poor relations here, and you know the. In terms of as things stand now, they're not the they're not the club that are bringing in the, the revenue, are they? You know, as you say, Robert, you know, a big local derby, and a crowd of only what four hundred and some. I, you know, I, would, I was expecting to probably double that um, for for a local derby on Boxing Day. But when you consider AFC Wimbledon are getting you know well over two thousand now, I think on average two and a half thousand, whatever. Um, and don't forget that uh, a week. Yesterday, so next Monday, I believe it is. Or they've got Liverpool, haven't they've they? They've got Liverpool, uh, so live on TV. So you got all the extra money for that was about twelve grand, and you expect the four and a half thousand to be inside the ground itself as well. I mean, the, the thing, the thing for me is, even if Kingstonian, considering these these rumours are now in in process, they you know they could get things going and you know and try and raise raise the money for the leasehold. But even if they did. And Chelsea or a supermarket still came along. There still, there would still be, in my mind, there'd still be no guarantee that they would get, no. that they would get it because they don't, they don't bring in the money. You know, mm. they, if you if you put a supermarket or even sold it to a property developer and put flats on there, you know, the, the money you'd make in, in taxes and council tax and things like that would, you know, rather than a non-league club that's getting three, four hundred through the gates, you know, it's it's a worrying time. But hopefully, you know. Kingstone and get some good lawyers on board and and you know some mm. good advice and, and go the right way and hopefully the council are, are of a mind the most important thing is that the council are of a mind that they they need to keep a football club in Kingston I mean part of the question is uh, as regards the use of the land is there some kind of restrictive covenant that basically states that the land can only be used for sporting purposes. That does happen, does happen yeah, quite does. a lot. I, I have to admit, I wasn't able to find anything like that. No. I'm, I'm, you put, the only people who would know that the only people who would know that would be able to tell you that would be the council. But if that's the case, if the council have stated the fact that the land shall only be used for sporting purposes, it basically narrows down the number of interested people who are likely to want to be involved with any sale or any you know, transfer of leasehold in the future. Um, so we'll, again, we'll just have to see how this develops. I've got a feeling we may well come back to this at some point in the future. I mean, the, the ideal thing would be for the council to to offer it to Kingstonian at a favourable rate and put a 3G in and get the revenue that way. You know, getting, getting, well, the, thing is, getting the, the council, use out of it. The thing is, if the council would then, would then do that, that would mean that the pitch would be more likely to be available for, you know, all the teams that Chelsea use. Um, Put out and Kingstonian. Yeah, exactly. With no, with no, com yeah. you know, with no problems with the condition wouldn't of the be, pitch. Won't be any problem at all because I don't think the under 18s, the under 21s would play on a Saturday. I don't think they do. Uh, I'd have to check in the morning, wouldn't it? Which, yeah. on a, which obviously on a grass pitch would cause problems, but exactly. But if you put a 3G or a 4G pitch in there, then it would not, it would not raise, it would not be an issue at all. 
I mean, yeah. I mean we've, what we've been talking, what, 15, 20 minutes about it. So if Chelsea come along and, and do it and say we're putting a 3G in and Kingstonian can carry on, then happy days. Everyone's happy as long yeah, as they're yeah, yeah, made Kingstonian playing blue. <laughs> mm. But, um, you know, again, it's one of those things that every, you know, every tenant fears and is scared about. And, oh, I mean, as we know, Kingston, the Kingstonian chairman is talking with all sides still to try and and see where it's going to go and see what's going to happen. So yeah. I mean, it, it's it's early days, and and to be and to be fair, you know, when AFC Wimbledon are being quite upfront about it, I mean, it would have always been their their ambition to go back home if it was possibility, and Kingstoning would have known that, mm. and Kingston Council would have known that. So hopefully, they're not they're not doing it behind anyone's back. AFC no. out in the open no. with it. So hopefully, hopefully that will help it go. In Kingstonian's favour, whatever whatever happens. Obviously, the the little bit of a cynic in me says, let's do it a week before a very important game in the club's history. <laughs> Probably the second most important game in the club's history ever. After uh, the playoff final, yeah. Yeah, after they got through um, to the league. Uh, it, a little bit of a cynic, great marketing ploy, uh, get a lot of interest uh, in the club. Because um, I'm just looking at uh, the because now the Daily Mail have picked it up and the Mirror have picked it up all from the Surrey Comet, which is the people who actually broke the story. And uh, the under 21 teams and the youth team at uh, Chelsea currently play older shots, and so there are other ramifications here as well. Um, and the women play at Staines Town. Yes, now, of course they do. Yes, they do. Yeah. If they if they stop, and that's only that, a recent arrangement. Sorry, Chris, that's only a recent arrangement. I think that's only started this season, or maybe last season. But I think it they, was last season. I think it was a definite. I'm fairly sure it was. Mm. You know, at least eighteen months ago. So then you're looking at two other clubs who are potentially going to lose revenue as well for part of this deal. Yeah, is the thing from the rent because I know our pitch is rented out to the Scunthorpe youth team, and it's only a nominal nominal amount, uh, and they play on it. I think uh, on a Thursday night or something like that. And mm. we get a couple hundred pound a month, but it's a couple hundred pound a month. It's another player. It's mm. it's just looking at it like that. So that's the other thing. And I know uh, Solly Hull Moores, the Birmingham uh, ladies play there. And they do invest in the grounds uh, where the ladies play because there was a big push a couple of seasons ago by the FA, uh, but it seems to have gone a little bit by the wayside, uh, to raise the women's game, uh, the profile. And so they had to build a stanchion, uh, a little stand for someone to film because Birmingham ladies film every game and the FA say you got to film all the games in the Super League. Mm -hmm. So there's other ramifications that need to go um, to be thought of. Um, for other clubs, but it is going to be interesting to see uh, how this develops over the next few weeks. I think, subject to approvals by even the trust itself, because although the board of directors of the uh, AFC Wimbledon want this to go ahead, it's still got to be ratified by the trustees because mm. um, it's a restricted action to sell some capital uh, capital asset like that. But uh, Speaking of trustees, um, this came across, it's, it happened 10 days ago, uh, but we've not recorded for a couple of weeks with it being Christmas, but Norton United were locked out of the ground and it seems that there has been a massive falling out between Norton and their landlord uh, at the ground. And so this is the other thing that we've just been speaking about in uh, some respects is the 
Norton United were locked out by the Coal Institute Society Welfare, uh, Welfare Organisation um, and they weren't able to actually get their stuff out of the change rooms because they'd been locked out. So not just the, the balls and the strips and the, the cones, also obviously critical things like the defibrillator, uh, the physiotherapy equipment, and it it seems there's something really going on there, and I don't know whether you two uh, have had chance to scan the other link that uh, was broken uh, on the 22nd by actually a former trustee of... Uh, the welfare so uh, organization and it doesn't make pretty reading uh, that not only could they lose the football club but they're going to lose the cricket club from the ground as well and it's uh, it really is a, a sorry state of affairs and has been affecting the team who who had a pretty good run they had a good run in the FA Cup uh, before getting knocked out by Gateshead and they were going okay in the league but now there seem to be obviously coming off the boil a bit, which is what's going to happen when you have this sort of disruption off the pitch. Yeah, I mean, this it's a, it's a strange old situation, this. Um, it's, you know, it's, they've, they've had a disagreement and it's led to them being kicked out of their ground. It's, you know, it, it's supposed to be a, a community centre for, for all the local sporting sporting teams of all, all kinds of sports to play. And now, as you said, the cricket club could also be on the way as well. It's it's really bizarre. And I was listening to a, an interview with, um, with a Norton official, um, and they were saying that, you know, they've had a lot of, quite, apparently quite a few old ground share offers from even the likes of, uh, I think he said Port Vale, I think he, he, um, he mentioned, you know, and he said there's a lot of, a lot of clubs around the Stoke-on-Trent area that have offered Offered a ground share, of course. It's you know that has to go through the leagues and the FA and everything. But uh, it's just a, I don't know. I just nothing surprises me anymore. And then something like this comes along, and you know you just I just don't. I, you can't, it's hard to get your head around how something like this can escalate like this and end up with your club being locked out. And you know we talk about Kingston maybe losing their ground and overnight it seems Norton United have basically lost theirs as well I just yeah yeah <laughs> it is possibly the it, the most bizarre story of the season even above those of Salisbury and Hereford I think it is one of the strangest situations I've ever I've ever heard of mm. I mean, trying to get to the bottom of what's actually going on at Norton United is is um, some is somewhat convoluted. So it's starting to look as if there is some kind of internal warfare, some kind of uh, turf battle going on between the uh, the welfare organisation that actually owns the owns the land and the various sporting sections that actually play on it. You know and um, it's, it's 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 an interesting. Well, I say interesting, but it's a, it's it's just a mess, you know. It's what are the trustees hoping to achieve? That's a tricky one. Are they are they themselves looking to basically sell the ground out and make a bit of money and basically sell it out to a commercial developer? Nobody knows, um, and it does appear to be. 
the work of a few, you know, um, basically a few of the trustees. I mean, there's there's f there's five of them in total, but it looks as if this is the work of two or three, um, just basically, you know, trying to force issues, and it's looking as if they're starting to succeed. Um, if the cricket club. They've already. They've just announced in the next, in the last few weeks that they're going to leave the the um, area. The football club can't play. It just makes you wonder what the issue is with the with the with the trustees who seem to be um, basically running the show for the welfare organisation, because it doesn't seem to be as if they're doing um, a. They're basically not running it for the benefit of the of the community. It sounds as if they're starting to run it with their own agendas. Whether this is true or not, I don't know. It's a, it's um it's a mess. Yeah, I mean, I'm ju I'm just looking through a few stories on the on the Stoke Sentinel website, their um their local paper, and it looks like as we record tonight on Tuesday the thirtieth that it would appear that they're having a, a crisis meeting um, which could see them go back home, which would would be nice. Um, and then there's another story saying that they've looks like they've got a, arrangements for their games on January the 3rd and 17th to be played at Newcastle Town. So it looks like they've at least got got provision for the next couple of games, but depending on how, how the meetings go tonight uh, on the 30th, that, you know, I guess we'll find out in the next day or two. Um, hopefully, they'll resolve whatever issues they've got and uh, stop this mudslinging and move back to Community Drive, where, you know, quite frankly, they belong. They do, and, and it, reading through the um, information given out by Norton United themselves, by their club secretary, Dennis Vickers, um it reads so similar to other sporting associations that I've been involved with uh, in the local area around Gainsborough, where two or three people actually run everything. Uh, they run the whole of the committee because they're the only ones who are doing anything. And it appears that there is a different... There's a different view from the appointed trustees... Um, so somewhere in there it must be that they have to be appointed uh, that uh, it looks like the three appointed trustees are wanting to make changes now they are appointed by the NUM and that leads me to suspect that the NUM are wanting a different uh, thing to be happening at Norton United's ground than everybody else does but I say reading this, it it just reads. It's a very sorry tale. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes as per usual. But it's <coughs> it just looks to me that the way it's going to pan out is that all the clubs are going to disappear from there because they've banned all the junior clubs from playing there. They've banned the cricket club. They 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 wouldn't authorise employment licences for cricketers, and so. It just looks to me that what's going on is a hidden, well, a not so hidden agenda to uh, stop playing sports at the ground and 
put something else there, which uh, wouldn't be the first time this has happened uh, in any shape or form. But it's just a sorry situation of what's going on there. And it's something that looks to me that could be, in theory, it could have happened to Gainsborough Trinity because, as I say, it's when our former chairman, Peter Swan, was looking to purchase the ground a couple of seasons ago, it was the trustees of the social club who said no. They wouldn't put it out to a vote for the members or they wouldn't entertain the situation. And it's the usual thing. Once somebody gets into a trustee position, it's very hard to get them out of it. And so, uh, yeah, it's we wait to see what's going on. I'll put everything uh, you found in there as well. Uh, through into the show notes but uh, hopefully for everybody in Norton who were having a good season um, that they could uh, have moved on and they can move on from this it's not a way that you want to start 2015 and uh, securing your place in the uh, Evo Stick South so I probably need to start calling it something different now the Evo Stick Division 1 South Uh, I still don't sound right but uh, the Evo Stick are ahead of the game and have actually announced their clubs of the month uh, for December. As usual, it's only uh, just come out. They haven't put any information as to why, but uh, in the Premier Division, it's uh, Blythe Spartans. In the First Division North, it's Harrogate Railway Athletic. And in the First Division South, it's uh, Michelover Sports. Now, I do know from looking through the hat-trick watch and stuff, Michelover Sports have had a cracking run of games in December. They've they've whacked in some goals, if I remember. Uh, they, they beat Loughborough Dynamo 7-1 on Boxing Day, uh, which probably rounded it off. But you can have a 7-1 and you can not have a hat-trick. And I think they beat Brig uh, 5-0 at Brig the previous game, so 12 goals in the last two games, and uh, so I can see why Michelover have got it, and Blythe, they uh, they had a cra- crunching 7-1 victory at Grantham on uh, Boxing Day as well, so there's been some goals fired in the Evo Stick Northern Premier uh, of late, and unfortunately for me, um, as Brig is very close to um, me physically and emotionally because uh, my son's team um, he plays against their, their junior sides uh, they seem to have shipped about 30 goals this month which is a phenomenal amount yeah, it certainly is but um, yeah, in terms of these, <laughs> these clubs of the month Black Spartans you know, I, I think that's um, I think that's an obvious one isn't it for the, for the cup exploits as well um, so I think that's any surprise there. And yeah, as you say, Mickelover have been banging the goals in. So again, some uh, some good decisions there, I think. And um, yeah, I don't think you can, anyone can argue with those. Yeah, I, I would always uh, go, go, go. They're normally, they're normally okay uh, when it comes to doing their stuff right there at the uh, Evo Stick Northern Prime. Yeah, I'm just looking at the um, the... First Division South Turbola, Mickelover a second at the minute on 52 points. Point behind Sutton Coalfield, but with four games in hand. So they could really open up a, a, a sizable gap if they actually uh, can get the points out of those games. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be good. I I just noticed though at the top of the Evo Stick Premier um, going into the new year. Yes, they've got three games played more, but it's they've got the points in the bag. Uh, Skelmersdale United, I think they were my tip for this uh, for the division um, as far as that was concerned. And yeah, but my my tip for the division are doing well now. They're on a good run of form, old FC United, and they've got seven games in hand on Skem. And they're only uh, 17 points behind. So well, the, league, the league tables are just, they're, uh, they're a mishmash at the moment, aren't they? Because yeah, uh, I think I mean, the if, whole if, of the... If you go back to the Division 1 South, I mean, League Town have only played 17 league games and they're only, yeah. you know, they've got eight games in hand on Sutton, Coalfield, and they're only 13 points behind. So but it's I going to take a long, long league... time for these tables to even out again. Well, they cancelled the whole of the, uh, on Sunday, I think the whole of the First Division South was cancelled. Um, but yeah, the, you go on cup runs and you go on all these different things, um, and they've obviously got the vase as well. And it just it really becomes a very well. Let's move this around. And I don't know why they don't leave the gaps, race to fill them, rather than just basically start pushing everything around and making the tables nonsense until we get to like the end of February. Yeah, I mean, of course, the problem for the league there with eight games in hand is um, I think it probably already guaranteed that they're playing Thursdays. Because <laughs> I'm sure they'll have postponements to come as well. well I think they, they've they played the least, so yeah. Yeah, they've the... played the least of anyone. There's, yeah. Uh, in the Division 1 North, there's Warrington have played 18, but um, there's a couple on 19 here and there. But yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're three behind even, the, you know, everyone else has played at least 20. And some as many as twenty six in the Division One South. So yeah, they've got a lot of catching up to do. And as I say, you know, with January and February to come, they're going to have, you would have thought, a fair few more postponements. So um, I think the fans of League Town are going to be getting four games a week. Well, they're definitely going to get a few a week. That's definitely for, that's a definite. But that's what happens when you, um, you know, when you have good cup runs and. You know, then you get postponements on top of that. You end up playing lots of games in a short period of time. C'est la vie. Just going back to uh, Norton United, actually, I remember a couple of years ago I wrote about it on uh, on, on under the league. Actually, the um, I think they ended up having to play uh, something like eleven games in in over two weeks. I think it was ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, the um, it, it happens at this level, unfortunately, doesn't it? It do. Ah, here we go. I found the article. 11 matches in 16 days they had to play. Oh, my lord. And, a few, and, and even a few of those got postponed. And they had to, you know, they had to just carry on and carry on. So. Yeah, it's a crazy... It was a crazy situation uh, over the weekend that everywhere else was fine, but just a big band across the country ranging from us over to the west was just... It decimated the... Um, the mm. programmes of the leagues because it was just mm. so so many uh, gone that week. Um, yeah, I was. They had yeah. They started their run on April the fourteenth and were due to finish on April the thirtieth, but they got three games postponed in that run and ended up playing on the second, third, and fourth of May. It's crazy. Uh, it's fantastic. Madness. And they were all away from home as well. Eccles Hall, Lashton Town, and Nelson. So <laughs> they had three away games in three days. <laughs> Unbelievable! I bet fans don't forget that in a hurry. 
But moving on Definitely to somebody not. who else is having a bit of an away day, uh, David Ackham. Uh, people may recall him being at Ledbury Town and Evesham United. Uh, he then went over to Sweden and he's just signed uh, a deal with the Chicago Fire, the MLS. So that's a bit of a bit of a step up from uh, Evesham on a cold Tuesday night, isn't it, Rob? <laughs> It is, but have you have you seen it? His goal scoring record is fantastic. Yeah, he's he's always been. I think it's because it's one and two. Yeah, because he's come from. Um, I would suggest is because he's come through under the radar as his Ghanaian. And what a um, lovely name for the academy! It was at the Right to Dream Academy. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic name for an academy that is. But yeah, for Helsingborg, so he's in the first first flight of, in Sweden, and he's grabbed thirty goals in six two appearances, uh, assuming the stats are correct on Wikipedia. Oh. And so he's then moved over. But uh, it really surprised me; he's not had in as much um, international as far as that's going. I know he's, he's in the squad for next month, but it just seems that well. He's on fire, that kid. I would, I'm, I'm surprised. He's only 24. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm surprised that he hasn't he hasn't got to a with respect to the MLS. I mean, I know it's an improving league, but as you say, it was at Helsingborg. That's a you know that's a good level of football. I'm surprised he hasn't been snapped up by you know like a Championship club in England or you know even a mid-table so like La Liga club or in Spain. Or, you know, I just think looking at his record, it speaks for itself and. You know, last twenty-four, a couple of good seasons at Chicago Fire, and I would imagine he's going to be on the radar. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, there were rumours that he'd had talks with clubs, the, the standard of Eintracht Frankfurt and FB Stuttgart. There were only rumours, just like there was rumours of talks with a number of clubs here in in this country. But he's ended up being now picked up by Chicago Fire as a designated player. Um, if he gets the international clearance, and we all know what that can be if he at the best of times, there's no reason why he can't go on and make a bit of a name for himself. And credit to the lad, he's done it the hard way. He's done it the hard way. He's uh, yeah, taken his chance, and it looks like it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, just a quick tally up there, as you say, Kristen, if it's accurate on Wikipedia, he's got 53 and 103 league games. Yeah, it's uh, a good record. Cracking numbers. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I can't believe I've never heard of him. <laughs> I am definitely going to be watching out for him in the future. I'm going to be... Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to adopt Chicago Fire as my team to watch now. I think a few of us, Matt. There was... Um, there was just... Just before we move on to Hattrick Watch, um, I just want to talk about... I think, Rob, you sent this through to me uh, about the postponement down there in the Ryman um, South with the... Uh, clash between Hastings and Ramsgate which was postponed as two cars carrying seven of the Ramsgate team were involved in a road traffic accident on the way to the game so that's a bit of a it, I think this shows to and just remind people that they were travelling down by in their own cars to the match um, once again cynic in me that they're carrying people so is this commuting? Should they have business insurance? But um, just looking at that, that I'm wondering why they didn't have a coach or a bus. Is it usual for teams down your way? 
It can be because because actually maintaining, running, and insuring a minibus isn't cheap, and um, there's quite a few clubs that um, choose not to, um, just to basically save the pennies that they can put into the club and into the team. Um, it does place a bit of a reliance on people driving from match to match with the with other players and kit, and um, you know there's quite. I mean. A lot of the a lot of the clubs at the Ram and South level won't have any transport, um, but this has a, this happened on uh, Christmas Saturday, the Saturday after Christmas, when um, when the Ramsgate team were travelling down to Hastings. Now Ramsgate to Hastings is not a short journey; uh, it must be at least you know over over a hundred miles, which for match on Christmas Saturday is a bit mm, bit bit odd. But um, thankfully. Um, um, the injuries suffered by the, you know, the seven players of the Ramsgate team were not, se- not serious. Um, they uh, did have to be taken to the Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother Hospital in Margate, um, for to, to be treated. And the worst of them was um, one of the defenders, Curtis Robinson. Uh, he got a bit of a bang to the head and cut some bruises. Um, it uh, it looks as if it's been. A bit of a weird accident in the fact that one car hit the back of the other one to carry in the other three, you know, the other three of the other players. So quite what's gone on here, nobody's entirely sure. But Ramsgate did want to play the game at Pilot Field Hastings, but having heard what the nature of the injuries were and the fact that it was seven players, which you know, because that's half the team, you know, including the substitutes, half the team basically been treated in hospital thankfully the Ryman League um, used some common sense in this and basically having spoken to Hastings spoken to again to Margate they decided that in the best interests of everyone the game you know couldn't take place and it was postponed an hour before kickoff um, it's unfortunate when this happens and um, I'm thankful that the, um, the the Ramsgate players are not seriously injured um, I suspect that one or two players involved will not would have will not play um, in the game on Thursday because they play Whitstable Town, so it could be a tricky time for Ramsgate. But it's uh, it's 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 a good thing the fact they're not seriously injured. But you know, for once the league have used some common sense, used a little bit of you know, been sensitive to the situation and decided that the game couldn't really go ahead anyway. Yeah, <coughs> well. There were some games played because it's two weeks since we last recorded, so I'm conscious of the time. Let's uh, crack on a little bit. And about now, it's time for Hatrick Watch. Um, yeah, there was uh, lots of games to cover, and I think uh, I'll let you take the first one down there at Barnet, uh, James, where Mr. Akindi is uh, doing his stuff again. Yeah, he's up to, to well, this hat this hat trick. I've seen him get up to uh, twenty one for the season now. Um, uh, a three one win at Aldershot. He, uh, you know, he scored four minutes either side of half time, uh, forty one and forty nine, and then got a ninety uh, third minute penalty. And as I say, yeah, he's up to up to twenty one for the season. He's, I think, he's seven clear now of, of his uh, of his nearest rival for that uh, for that honour. So. 
he's having, he's having a fantastic season. He really is. It's his first hat trick of the season, but um, it's his third. Oh, it's third, third. hat trick, isn't it? Sorry, I'm reading that wrong. Yeah, it's his third hat trick of the season, and um, yeah, I think he's got a couple of braces as well. So yeah, he's he's, he's certainly banging the goals in, and if uh, if they go up, he's certainly doing his part. Well, I'll give you some other stats about Mr. Akindi. He's also had the most shots off target. He's uh, he's been caught offside the most number of times. He's committed the most fouls, and uh, he's scored the most penalties. So he's uh, he's got quite a few things going for him down there at Barnet. Um, well, at least he uh, he doesn't sound like he's ever hidden in the game yet, does it? If it's not going well for him, off all the shots off target, he's still getting in position, looking to score. Yeah, he's not sure. I mean, what girl- yeah, I mean, what, but what else can you ask for from a striker? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's getting in it. positions. He sounds like I've, I'm fascinated by the psychology of a striker, especially, you know, when you miss a chance, especially if it's one that you feel you should have done better with. Obviously, it doesn't seem to affect him. He just knows there's another one coming and he'll be in, he'll do better with it next time. Perfect way to be as a striker. He um, He's certainly going to fire Barnett into the, into the league by the look of it. Although Rob's, Rob's picker... Uh, Kind of uh, catching up with them a little bit, aren't they, Rob? Or Bristol? Yeah, Bristol are obviously there with the win there. They're definitely in the mix. And um, they might just break that run of relegated teams not bouncing straight back. It's still there. There's still plenty to go on. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, we spoke about Telford a couple of weeks ago with the management change there. Tony Gray, um, he scored a hat-trick, but they lost still. Um 4-3 at home to Eastley on the 20th and Eastley then got a hat-trick them well or the uh, got a hat-trick themselves uh, this time away on the 28th against Braintree uh, with James Constable grabbing a hat-trick in that one now not many hat-tricks in the conference north They're just Omar Bogle on the 20th he scored a first half hat-trick against uh, Colwyn Bay as they Solihull beat Colwyn 4-1 uh, at Colwyn um we were being let down, so I thought, in the Conference South. But then a contender for Player of the Week was Michael Cheek at uh, Chelmsford, who scored four of the five goals that uh, Chelmsford scored against Staines, uh, which actually cost Marcus Gale his job. Obviously not particularly that game itself, but uh, a run of form. Um, it left Staines bottom, I think, that result. So that's, um, mm. It's been there a couple of years now, Marcus Gale. It was... You know, he's been doing all right, keeping the heads above water, but it's uh, finally catching up with him a little bit. And yeah, you, you're always uh, you're always in a tough spot when you're bottom there. So it's, I think it was a mutual parting of the ways, the old mutual consent job. So. I think in that game, Staines had actually taken the lead, and weren't they two 0 up at one stage? Uh, yeah, they were two 0 up, and then uh, yeah, uh, had went yeah. five two up, and I think yeah. scored in the last minute. I mean, that's probably the worst thing that a manager can ever see. You know. Yeah. His team's gone two 0 up. Great, we need the points. We need the win. Stick at it, boys. And before you know it, in the space of yeah, space of half an hour, your day's yeah. ruined. Yeah, it's one of those where he's probably just thought, well, what more can I do? You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, we've a bit close to home. We've possibly got a bit, a bit of experience with that, Rob. But um, mm. yeah, when you when you two 0 up at home, and then you you know, like you say, Rob, you you five two down. Pretty quick, pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. I think as a manager, I think a lot of managers there would be, um, you know, would be like, yeah, I think I've done enough here. 
he's got a good name in the game, Marcus Gale. You know, he does. He, he decent reputation at Staines as well as uh, you know previously. So I think he'll, I think he'll be all right. He'll be uh, he'll be back with us soon, I'm sure. Mm. The way it's looking with Staines down, it looks like it'll be one of the three very tasty Southwest London derbies next season. So it'll be well, an interesting season. Hopefully. Anyway. We're just going to move on. Uh, we're going to do them in the order that Libby puts them on the spreadsheet. So next comes the Evo Stick Northern Premier League with uh, somebody who's only got his second hat-trick this season uh, but had a few last year. Shelton Payne at Trafford. He scored uh, three of the four goals for Trafford as they beat Matlock Town on the 20th, uh, 4-2. Now... <laughs> two very quick hat-tricks on Boxing Day. Both, once again, contenders for Player of the Week. Uh, we're looking at Anthony Carney um, at Barwell. They scored 4-3 four, to Barwell over Kingsley on Boxing Day. He scored a hat-trick in 10 minutes on the 10th, uh, 15th, and a penalty in the 20th to round it off. Uh, in that lovely symmetry there, 10, 15, 20. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, I, I think it was probably it was probably like 16, but the ref didn't like it, so he just wrote it down <laughs> in front of 144 people down there at Barwell. And oh. uh, Robert Duffy, uh, Ilkeston, uh, they played Belper away and on Boxing Day, and he scored a 63rd, 66-minute penalty and a 73rd uh, to grab a hat-trick in 10 minutes there. So it was... Uh, Interesting symmetry once again. To yeah, just it. just um, quick note to the listeners there. You know, two hat tricks inside ten minutes, and neither of them are player of the week. So you know, there's something special coming. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it is it is something going on, and I think we've unanimously decided, or while well, Rob wasn't here, uh, to go with <laughs> Liam Caddick, who at Bursgo now it's a player of two weeks because it was two weeks ago, yeah. um, but. This is just special. It's five minutes, and he scored a hat trick. Yeah, he amazing. killed the game after five minutes. He scored. I was going to say it's not just five minutes. It's the first five yeah. minutes. He scored <laughs> in the first minute, then the third minute, then the sixth minute, as uh, Bursco beat uh, Kendall four nil at Kendall uh, on the twentieth. So I think that's why we've gone for him for team uh, for player of the week uh, mm. uh, Liam Caddick. <sighs> I mean, that is one way to finish a game, you know. I mean, basically, if you'd been in the clubhouse, you know, at Kendall, and you'd been a bit late getting a drink and you were just out, and you got <laughs> out there and you saw the scoreboard saying, Kendall nil, Bursko three, you'd think, what was in this pint? <laughs> what was in this drink? You wouldn't believe it. You know, it's one of those stories that you look at and you think, oh, it's going to be a misprint, there's going to be something wrong. I'm, I'm just looking on the Bursko website. He... Um... Mm. Their top scorer, so he's actually their top scorer with seven. So, <laughs> it's, uh, three, three it's one of those one performances day. that only come round once in a very blue moon. You know, you know, Liam Cadical, he'll not forget this game. It probably wasn't much of a game, in, in, in all honesty, but he'll not forget it. And uh, be interesting to see how you know whether that'll. Uh, Change well, fortunes for Berskov, to be honest. Well, as a you know, as a, as a Kendall player, you know the the game's dead after six minutes. I mean, yeah. you know, for the next eighty-four minutes, you know, what do you do? Even as the manager, I mean, you always when you're watching a game, you know, when when an early goal goes in, you you're like, well, the manager set up all his tactics all week in the build-up to the game. He's done his team talks. He's got his team prepared. Got the formation set up. Gone out there. And within a minute, you've you've let a goal in, and it's all out the window. Yeah, well, yeah. Try after six minutes, it's been three 0 down. <laughs> you might as well just get back on the coach and go on. 
Mm. Might as well not bother coming out at lunch after half time. Oh, it's unbelievable. But I will say you can make a difference because uh, a couple of weeks ago we we didn't win the game, but we gave our damnedest. Uh, we were four 0 down at half time, and we lost the game four three. And they cleared off the line in the final minute to mm. ensure they got all the points. So it, it, these things do happen, and you can come back. Um, speaking of coming back, I've I already mentioned to the, about Brigtown. Now they I've just done a little tally while you two were talking. They conceded twenty five goals and scored one in the league in December. <laughs> they only conceded one hat trick. Uh, which was in their 9-0 um, victory the day after we recorded our last podcast, uh, 16th, against Loughborough Dynamo. Uh, yeah, sorry reading. They got seven points. Um, and, yeah, sorry reading. They have they lost 2-0, uh, 7-1, 9-0, 5-0, 2-0. So, uh, it's... 2-0, uh, it's getting better then. But going back to tying all the stories together, they lost seven four to Norton United. Uh, so it's another, and even even Kids Kidsgrove, where we know all the problems have happened there, they've beaten them seven two this year. And remember uh, that Gresley beat them ten nil, which I think is a league high uh, mm. for a f- number of seasons. So I'm, I'm, I need to go up the road and find out what's actually going on there because Brig, I don't recall ever being quite like this. Um, we do have somebody from Kingstonian, though, who uh, to can lead uh, something in, and I'm going to let one of you two say his name as uh, your local rivals. Uh, yes, Paleo Pico Gomez. Uh, didn't, uh, um, mm, seven, about ten days ago, he uh, got a 20-minute hat-trick there against uh, against Canvey Island, away at Canvey, so it's, uh, it's a good performance. Um, scored in the 59th, the 74th, and the 79th. Um, I have to admit, when I saw him on Boxing Day, he didn't look anything special, so I don't know what Canvey Island were doing. They'll be watching the uh, the ferries that go behind the goal. Well, who knows what Canvey were doing, but like I say, when I saw him on, on Boxing Day, Pico Gomez did not look very good, so I, guess, so I don't know quite where that came from. But apparently he's been a bit of an inspiration to Kingston in this season, so... You know, he's basically an old-fashioned centre-forward in many ways. You know, leads the line, put, you know, holds the ball up, not frightened of mixing it a little. And, you know, in this one game, it's proved that he at least knows where the net is. Yeah, and uh, hopefully for Kingstonian, they can get a bit more out of him, get the crowds up and get their lease sorted out. Mm. Um, Ooh, in... I think this next one's going to interest Rob. Um, in the Ryman South. Oh, I was going to say, because there's nothing in the Ryman North. Now, which one in the Ryman South? Mr. Lua. Where do I know game. Oh, yes. Where do I know his name yes. from? I, d- I did spot this, uh, and I know we mentioned it in, in um, a podcast a few weeks ago. Greg Lua. That's it, Burgess yeah. Hill Town. Um, uh, basically, on the 1st of January, he, he leaves Burgess Hill to go and take up um, his well, place at the whole City Development Squad. Yeah, um, this this is his final... This was and his final his, game. Yeah, his final game, he picks up a hat-trick. So he leaves, a, he leaves Burgess Hill and the supporters with, you know, some great memories, especially with this, um, you know, playing away at Worthing. Um, when he, winning 5-1 did Burgess Hill, and Greg got his goals in the 9th, the 74th, and the 77th minute. So he's, uh, he's left the club on a high. Um, and be interesting to see if he can continue his development and, 
end up making a name for himself at higher levels. Yep, I'm sure that we'll accept him on uh, a month's loan because uh, we've just got two of the Hull City players on a month's loan. Yes, I'm, I noticed that too. Yeah, John, John O'Margaret. <laughs> can't remember which two it was. John O'Margaret has come back, um, scoring on his debut on Boxing Day, and uh, Matty Dixon, youth team captain, is uh, the under twenty one captain. He's come across as well. Um, but let's go back to uh, South Park where Chris Smith, uh, her, he scored a hat-trick on the Saturday the 27th as they beat Carshelton uh, 5-3 uh, at Carshelton as well. So that's a, not a bad result. So just me, a lot of these hat-tricks seem to be away from home. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could well be it, but you're right, James. I was noticing the fact that there's quite a lot of there has um, strikers week, yeah. from away clubs actually hitting the mark. So, hmm. But uh, this one's a home one. And so we now move to the Evo Southern League, uh, the Evo Stick Southern, and you can always be guaranteed of a hat-trick or two down here. So I'm I'm torn now uh, because originally Truro City, who scored 12 goals in a week, were going to be team of the week. But Michelover Sports have scored 12 goals in a week. That's probably and, a joint one then, hasn't it? And they've both conceded only two goals in a week. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can't even go for the better defence. So I, I would I would like to go for a joint. Uh, Truro uh, City down there in the south and Michelover up here in the north. Well, Midlands. Can I, I'll, I'll just uh, throw an honourable mention to uh, FC United of Manchester because they got a, th- a thumping 4-0 win at second place Curzon Ashton and then followed that up. Uh, that was on Boxing Day and then followed that up two days later with a 2-1 win at King's Lynn. So... Mm. Two massive results for them as they uh, as they go on their customary good run of form around this time of year. They always seem to leave it till the uh, second half of the season, and it's always just been that little bit too much for them to do to get get promoted. But they've started the run a little bit earlier this season, so you never know. Um, but going back to Truro, uh, Isaac Vassell uh, grabbed a hat trick on Saturday the twentieth as they beat Histon seven two uh, at Truro. Now. Interesting thing there, as I was driving to Lowestoft on Sunday, we drove past Histon and I thought, can't Histon be in our league and we go there? Because <laughs> it was a long way uh, after that. Uh, looking down there in the uh, southern, uh, Tom Liversidge at Bedford Town. This is going back to the 16th. Uh, in the 3 0 draw with Goodall Ming, he scored a hat trick in the 39th, 52nd, and win a penalty and the 55th. Uh, and then the final one, uh, which. It's interesting to me that it's the final one um, for two reasons. On Boxing Day, uh, North Lee, uh, they beat uh, Bishop's Cleave, poor old Bishop's Cleave, uh, I think conceded their third hat-trick against them this season. Uh, they lost 6-0. Uh, North Lee won 6-0. Now, Zach, Zach Westlake grabbed the hat-trick, but according to his write-up on the North Lee website, he's actually their right-back. So it's another defender scoring a hat-trick, which is a an unusual feat but I do believe um, you can go one better in the end finally this week James and finally the part of the show where we take a look at the life to side of non-league send any suggestions in to add non-league pod or at under the league on Twitter let's see what we've got this week over to you James uh, yeah so um We've we've touched on the subject before um, with goal, goalkeepers scoring goals. Um, they, 
And it wasn't just one this week. It, there were two in, in uh, involving Kent clubs. Um, we had, just going through now, we had Margate, their game. They, um, Ryan Moss gave them the lead before um, there was an equaliser from Diokaji. Um, but in the last, yeah, I think it was uh, the goalkeeper came up in the third minute of injury time for a corner and <laughs> found a top corner to uh, to get a, a equaliser. And Peacehaven and Telscom in their match, uh, was it was that one again? Sorry, I am trying to. I think it was Maidstone. Uh, yes, Maidstone and Peacehaven and Telscom. Yeah, they also had a goalkeeper score. So we've had it uh, we've had it a few times it, during the uh, during the podcast over the uh, over the last few months but yeah two Kent clubs both both got with goalkeeping goalkeeper scoring um at the weekend yeah it's fantastic i mean the one, i mean p7 and telscombe as emergency keeper for the day was actually the striker um i know james wasn't able to be at the game when we played p7 and telscombe but when we played them um the um Player that uh, scored for P7 was actually playing in goal. Um, named the player was named Joe Gatting. I believe he's some relation to the uh, Middlesex cricketer. Um, he because P7 and Telscombe didn't have a manager. Uh, sorry, didn't have a keeper available. Um, it was very much a case of they weren't able to get a replacement in in time, so he had to step up. Step up, and. Um, Right, late in the game, P7 got a penalty and Gatton sauntered up, I'm sure, from the back and uh, promptly buried the ball in the back of the net. So, <laughs> technically, it is a goalkeeper scoring, but it's a bit of a twisted one. But um, for Nicky Bull to uh, sneak up there and uh, belt it into the top corner from 10 yards out, um, well, he's not going to forget that. And I don't suppose many of the, um, you know, the players, that have, many of the fans there, they're... The 600 fans will forget it either. Um, goalkeeper scoring, who would have thought it? No, it's it's, it's love, lovely to see uh, for me because I'm very much part of the goalkeepers' union. Um, but it's been an interesting chat with you both again. Uh, we've got a new uh, Facebook page, I believe, Rob. Yes. Um... It seems as if um, the podcast doesn't have any Facebook presence. We've got a good Twitter presence, and we've got a, a good website that Kristen keeps his eye on and runs and uploads podcasts to, but we didn't have a Facebook. And so I took it upon myself to do this, and uh, we now have a proper Facebook presence. If you, go, if you go to Facebook and just search for the non-league podcast, you will find it. Um it's be there for us to tell you when the podcast is available, for you to tell us about stories that we might not know about that you hear but we don't, um, to give you some background information about you know what actually goes on in recording the podcast, you know um, a brief look at the topics we we discuss, you know before you download the podcast itself, and basically it's there to act as a a bit of a conduit between ourselves and you, the listeners. As I said, if you just go onto Facebook, those of you that have an account, just type in the non-league podcast. If you just be so kind as to press like, it would be be marvellous for us, and it would just show us how much you know people actually you know listen to the podcast and how much they appreciate what goes on. 
yeah, and also um, if uh, if any of our our listeners fancy you know fancy coming on for for a few minutes for one week or even for the whole show one week, you know, we'd always welcome a guest. I'm sure the uh, I'm sure you guys would agree there, and uh, you mm-hmm. know you can get in touch with us there. And oh yes. Now, even if it's just come on, so how your season's been going so far? You know, just uh, leave a note on there, or I'll get in touch on Twitter, or mm. you can email email myself at underleague at gmail dot com. You know, and let's uh, let's get some new voices on the podcast. Mm. No, I uh, it is something that I would like for us to be able to do in the new years. Have some guests on. We've had uh, Shane Clark on this season already. We're talking to uh, the Hereford Trust uh, about uh, trying to get some arrangements with them to have somebody on. So, yeah, I would much rather we have a few uh, people talking uh, because I'm not in this for the sound of my voice. I want to hear you two and I want to hear the <laughs> listeners. I want to hear the listeners really uh, come out mm. and, and give their input as to what we can do. And uh, as long as they're available on a Monday night uh, when we record this live between half seven and nine usually, usually. Uh, we're a little bit later today because we had a, a few chats that we needed to have uh, before we started the recording itself. Uh, but please uh, go onto the Facebook page, uh, leave us some messages. You can go onto Twitter uh, at NonLeaguePod and you can get through to us that way. But uh, really, it's... Uh, come to the end of the show now and uh, James hopefully you've had a good Christmas uh, where can we find you on the internet uh, underleague.com has had a revamp I see yeah I, um, well, I got a new a new volunteer writer um, Liam he's um, going to be writing about uh, NPL Harrogate I think mainly and uh, a bit of FC United as well so it kind of prompted me to uh, to get my behind in gear and, uh, and get updated the site again so it launched in 2011. It's uh, it's always looked the same, so I thought I'll have a little play around and just uh, get it looking a little bit different, you know. And, and uh, I've put some stuff up on there, including a look at my conference predictions that I uh, that I've made on the uh, on the podcast and on the website, uh, just the uh, for the title winners of the three divisions. So I've just put a little update of how they're doing. Uh, obviously, there's a Kingstonian story on there as well. And uh, yeah, that's underleague.com. It's uh, well, I think it looks okay, but you know, feel free to go on there and, and criticise or comment. And uh, on Twitter and Facebook, it's at Under the League. And uh, Happy New Year to everyone as well. well. Speak to you next year. And Rob, another week goes by, and still we don't know where at Rabid Robo comes from. No, it's one day it will happen. May even, may even appear anonymously on some social media site somewhere. But yes, I mean. I'll be going to um, the game on Thursday at um, at Bavaria between uh, Hampton and, uh, and would you believe it, the Met Police. So hopefully that game will go ahead and it should do. And then Saturday I go away to been to Essex. And it's Grays Athletic who actually play Avely, but plenty of football and plenty of work for me to be doing. Well, if, if anybody wants to, they can always follow me at Quiston on Twitter. Um, but uh, really, if you want to spot any hat-tricks uh, in any leagues, just let us know. We'll, we'll talk about it. It's uh, at Libster Clark. He's the person who does all the research for us. Um, as we've said, you can go to the Facebook page, so facebook.com forward slash the non-league podcast. Or you can also go on to Twitter at non-league pod. Uh, the website itself is uh, nonleaguepodcast.co.uk, but uh, probably the best thing you can do 
for me is go into iTunes if that's your preferred uh, way of getting the podcast and just leave a review. It doesn't have to be good, bad, ugly. It doesn't make too much difference. One, five, zero. But just leave a review. It helps us get us noticed. helps us get the message out there. Uh, but really, whatever you've all been doing, I just uh, thank you for listening.